Acts. We're going to be in chapter 4. <clears throat> we're going to stand for the honoring of God's word here this morning. So Acts chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 23 through 31. Also, if you need a Bible, if you, have an, if you need an extra Bible, we have four extra copies of the same translation that I'm using called the CSB. We've got a, four, a couple copies there on the back table if you would like to grab one to follow along. So this is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and the elders had to, had to say to them, had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of your father David, your servant, of our father David, your servant. Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their, heart, their threats, and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Jesus, in your name we have gathered together. We are assembled together. Lord, come and shake your church. Lord, come and give us courage, boldness to speak the word of God. Everywhere we are and everywhere we go, Lord, help us to see your hand at work all around us. And God, we pray like they prayed, Lord, that you would stretch out your hand to heal and to continue to do signs and wonders. And Lord, empower us with the message of the gospel, with the goodness of the gospel and your presence among us. Because where your word says where your spirit is, there is freedom. So Lord, Spirit, be present here today to speak to us, to open up your word to us. Lord, to speak powerfully and to change our lives here this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is a prayer for boldness. And so our, our, our sermon here this morning is called Live Bold. To live bold. Now what does that mean? We like bold coffee, you know, sometimes we like to, you know, if you're one of those people that, that likes to type in all caps, especially on social media when you're yelling, yeah, when you're commenting on someone, or like when you're super excited, you know, yeah, we're going to go and, you know, cook ribs for Super Bowl Sunday, yes, with, with all A's, you know, all caps, right? There's no one in here that, that likes that, right? We might, I might be, able, might be doing that this week, today. <laughs> but we like boldness, boldness, and we, and oftentimes we respect people who are bold. We're like, man, when that, that person got up in, on on television and gave that bold speech, Martin Luther King gave a bold speech. 
Ronald Reagan was full of them. Was full of bold speeches. And we, down through the years, down through the ages, we've heard people give bold testimonies, bold speeches, doing bold things. Bold is this, this word that encapsulates bigness, largeness, a, in, in essence, kind of an inconsideration for others. It's an inspiration for, to draw them up, but a, a, basically a dismissal of all the negativity and, and naysayers and hatred. It's like, I don't care what, what you think. I'm trying to inspire you. If you're not inspired, you can do, go and do whatever the heck you want. But I am being bold to draw you into a better life, a better perspective, a better perspective for yourselves, a better perspective of life and joy and flourishing and happiness. And this is what we're seeing in our passage here today. We're seeing this prayer for boldness. This prayer for living life boldly. To live boldly in the powerful name and authority of King Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is our main point here this morning. If you get nothing else, get that from this morning. That our call, from the call from this scripture passage here today, God's call on our lives is to live boldly in the powerful, wonderful, beautiful name and authority of King Jesus by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the President of Presidents, the Prime Minister over all Prime Ministers. He is the leader. He is the creator of all things. As it says here in our, in our passage here today, you created all things. What does it say in, in verse 24? Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. So starting on page one of your entire Bible, it says this. What? In the beginning, God created. God created. The book of Genesis was written by Moses. 2,000 years after the creation of the world. He is making a bold economic, political, socioeconomic statement here. He's saying, you, Yahweh, created the earth, the heavens, the sea, everything in them. You know who didn't create them? Evolution. You know who didn't create them? The pagan deities. You know who didn't create them? Pharaoh. You know who didn't create these things? The president, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. That is the, that is the beginning of our entire faith as believers. It's the whole, as you want to get, get, you know, down to the nitty gritty of our faith, we believe that God created everything. He is the supreme ruler and author and authority over everything. So if you want to know what the true natural law and order is, Go to page one of your Bibles. God's the authority. God is the king. God is the creator. And God made us. He made everything, including you. You know why he created you? To love you. That's why God created you. God created you to love you and to be loved by you. 
and for us to be loved by one another. We were created for relationship from the very beginning. That's the whole purpose right here. They're what? They are together. After they were released, they didn't go off in the mountains and spend time by themselves. Oh, I need to recover. I just need to be by myself to recover. No, they went to the church. They went to God's people. They went to community and fellowship. They went to their own people and shared all these things. And the very first words out of their mouth was, Master, we know that you're the one that made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Well, what happened in the beginning? They fell. Humanity fell. It, we broke it. <laughs> we broke relationship. We broke creation. We broke relationship with God and one another. We broke relationship with ourselves. We broke. We broke it. And the rest of the story, the rest of the entire scripture here is about the, the, re, is the, about the, the reconciliation of all these things. The reconciliation of, of us and God. And the restoration of of ourselves, that our relationship with God. I mean, there's a story of the Old Testament was they walked with God. God called the people out, made them as people and had a relationship with them. And they had a relationship with each other. And it was kind of a touch and go situation for, you know, for a thousand years or so. It was kind of a bad, kind of bad situation. They kept messing it up. But the whole story of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we just finished reading in the book of Luke is that God came to us to reconcile that relationship. Before we ever sought God, God came to us and made us whole if we would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and he lived a perfect life. He came and he died a horrible death on the cross. That's why we have crosses in our churches. It's to remember the sacrifice he gave for the forgiveness of our sins. But we remember, remember and believe that he did not stay dead, that he rose from the tomb. That's why it's empty. That's why there's nothing on the cross. It's because he's not there anymore. He is risen. He's seated at the right hand of God. And this is who they are praying to, their risen Savior, their risen King. And they have started to experience persecution. And we talked about persecution last week with, with the passage of when they're actually persecuting them, when they're threatening them, when they've imprisoned them, and they're grilling them. And they're amazed at how bold they are. And so they come together and they pray together. So the question here is, for us here this morning, is how do we respond to persecution? Now, if you remember what I talked about last week, Last week, we talked about that persecution is any attempt to silence the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any attempt to subvert the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the church. The big, you know, big C, all the churches around in the entire world, those who gather together in the name of Jesus to worship Jesus, to love and serve one another. Any attempt to subvert the kingdom of God is persecution. At least Siri's listening. Hopefully she'll get saved. Any attempt to subvert the speaking of the gospel or our desire to live the gospel, any, any attempt to silence or to squelch 
the expansion of the kingdom, subverting our kingdom authority over this earth, is persecution. When you come to speak or write about the cross of Christ and the empty tomb, about the new life that we have in the kingdom of God, you know, the, the, the gospel message that breaks chains, breaks strongholds, sets people free from pain, sin, death. We are going to face pushback. We are going to face blowback from the enemy. Ridicule, insult, hatred, and opposition. People will oppose God's goodness for the sake of enslavement. Because people like bondage to sin. There's a reason why there why you know people sin. It's sin is fun for the fleeting moment, right? It seems to make sense. Remember, what does that word sin mean? It's error. Wrong thinking, which leads to wrong action. And why do we know it's wrong? Because it leads to death. It leads to lesser of a life. It leads to bondage, to bad situations, bad circumstances. Why did God not want Adam and Eve to, to eat the, of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Because he knew that it would break them. He knows how he created all things and how we're, they were created to work. Like, you know, like, like an iPad. You know, iPad, you know, how does an iPad work? Well, pull out the manual. Pull out the keynote. Watch the author. Watch the creator show you and tell you how to work it. That's why there's instruction manuals, men. I know we don't like to follow the directions sometimes. <laughs> or at least that's what, what's been said about us men for some reason. Don't like to ask for directions. Don't like to ask for, you know, like, don't like to look at the instructions. But if we want life to go well, we have to go to the author of life and read his instruction manual. We have to read and follow the directions. Why? Because he designed it to be good. He designed it for the ultimate joy. He designed this life for your flourishing. That's what shalom or the word peace is translated into. The word shalom, you know, they say, as they say in you know, Jerusalem, oh, shalom, oh, shalom. You know, hello and goodbye, right? It's, it's this word peace, but not like lack of conflict. It's, or like, you know, peace, man, what's up? It's the flourishing life as the creator created it to be. He did it for good, for your flourishing, for your joy. But here's the interesting thing about our passage here today. And and it talks about persecution. That they didn't pray for God to deliver them from the persecution. Or to alleviate their suffering. Or even revenge or vengeance on their enemies. The ones who were doing the persecuting. They weren't like, oh, call down fire and brimstone on, on these Jewish leaders. Now, Peter tried that earlier. He's like, oh, God, should I call down fire upon them? Like, shut up, dude. You know what you're talking about. That's not my heart. 
My heart is to restore them by showing them your faith. The kingdom of God has never been militant against, against humanity. The true kingdom of God has never, let me say this clearly, has never been militant to physically harm other people. Ever. The true kingdom of God. Now you might be like, oh, what about the Crusades? That wasn't God. That wasn't the true church. That was people masquerading. That was Satan masquerading as angel of light. That was a deception. That was garbage. That was evil. That was not God. People may have been doing it in God's name, but it wasn't God. That wasn't the true kingdom of God. The true kingdom of God, you know what they were doing? They were praying at home for the salvation of both the Crusaders and the Ottoman Empire. They were praying for Jesus to be made much of. Not for the Holy Land to be taken back. They didn't pray for vengeance, militant death, destruction. They, number one, they prayed that God would see, they would take note, he would observe their threats. What does that mean? It means, you know, what do we say? You know, he says, don't take vengeance on other people because what does he say? God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So no matter what happens, if we, if we are victimized on this earth, persecuted, or even just not even persecuted for our faith, if we are abused, used and abused, threatened, taken advantage of, harmed, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Even though something may not happen to them physically right now on this earth, they're not going to escape God's judgment. The books are going to be opened at the end. That's what Revelation 20 says to us. The books will be opened and they will give an account for every single thing that they have said or done. But for those of us who, who believe in Jesus and have, and have called on his name, our book that we're judged by is the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. And you know what it says about us? Our name. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that is the book by which we are judged. It's Christ saying, they're mine. I took the vengeance of God on myself so that they wouldn't have to. Because we all do things. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, right? All of humanity was broken. We were part of that. And then we, when we come to faith in Jesus, it's not that we're like, we live the perfect life all the time. It's that we're learning to live the new created life that we've been brought into. He said, you've been made a new creation and our life is growing in maturity, growing up to understand what that means. Well, God, how do I not live an angry life? Oh God, how do I not live a lustful life? How do I not live a gossiping life? How do I live a life where I'm blessing and serving other people? Teach me how to do that. Number two, they prayed that God would then give them Grant them boldness to speak the word of God in the face of threats. Not just, not, like I said, that he wouldn't deliver them for persecution or to stop the persecution, but that in the midst of it, in the face of it, that they would be given boldness to speak 
boldness to say things, boldness to do good, to speak good. Number three, that God would continue to stretch out his hand to heal and that he would continue to do signs and wonders. In the name of Jesus. There's that phrase. In the name of Jesus. That would speak the word of God boldly and that he would, you would stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders in all of this. In the name of Jesus. And so, this is where our faith is established. This is where we, when we come to faith in Jesus, that we, that we come to believe and understand that Jesus really truly died. First of all, sorry, going back. Truly first believe that God is the one who created the world and all things in it. That we broke creation and that Jesus came, that God himself was born of the Virgin Mary, came and that he lived a perfect life, suffered on the cross and died physically and physically rose again three days later and ascended to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And that if we put our faith in him, that we will have eternal life. That if we stand in the name of Christ. That's where this word faith comes into play. The word faith is the word faithfulness. has the connotation that this allegiance, this devotion, like the Hebrew word chesed, which means love, is translated love, that means God's steadfast faithfulness, his steadfast, unfailing love. And this is where we get our Hebrew, our Greek word agape. We often you know, translate it as unconditional. No, no. This is steadfast and faithful, devoted love. That's why it's not conditional. Unconditional is down the list of what agape means. Agape means steadfast, unwavering, devoted, loyal love. Do you have chesed and agape for Jesus Christ? Is that where you stand? Is that the hill that you are willing to die on, both relationally or physically die on? Where do your allegiances lie? Because God says your allegiance will be in me and me alone. Where do you stand? Because Jesus demands full allegiance from the whole world. And he promises that it will not go well with those who don't. This is why the gospel is the power of God for us who believe. Yet it is foolishness. It is offensive to those who are perishing. This is how God loved the world. This is John 3. This is the essence of John 3. We're talking about John 3.16, right? Well, let's read the verses before that because John 3.16, it doesn't say for God so loved the world. It says for God loved the world in this way. That's what the Greek actually means. Well, what in what way? Well, let's look at the verses before this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. Now let me tell you a little story. So in, in the ancient Egypt, I'm sorry, ancient Israel, 
There was a time when they were starting to grumble against God and say, God, where, where, where are you? We're, we're starving. We're thirsty. Did you bring us out here just to kill us? God, where are you? I see evil all around, all, evil all around us. I see enemies all around us. I see death and destruction. Threats of de- death and destruction. Do we, do we, we, can we kind of assimilate with this? Can we kind of resonate with that? Seeing garbage all around us in the news every day? Seeing a new attack, a new bomb, a new earthquake, a new natural disaster, a new corruption in politics. Okay, another, another corruption in politics. One of, a list of many. And they were grumbling, what? Against God. They weren't seeking God as the answer to their problems. They were cursing God and saying, where are you, God? What happened? God sent a bunch of snakes amongst them to bite them, asps. And people were dying. They were getting sick and dying. And so God told Moses to go and, and create a, a bronze statue you know, of, a, of a serpent and put it up on a stick and raise it up. And anyone who looked upon that serpent, that was the bronze serpent on, the, on this stick, anyone who looked upon it and had faith, they would be healed. That's the reality of this life all around us, that sin is all around us, you know, biting us and gnashing at us. And God has provided a way of salvation, a way of healing. That this word lifted up, he lifted up the serpent. The same as is said, like, you know, like we'd say some, you know, someone today gets, you know, the death penalty. It's like, oh yeah, he's getting the chair. Give him the chair, right? Give him the death sentence. It's basically that kind of thing. It's that, that same phrase is to be lifted up because in those days, the, the way of being cruci- of killed, of being executed was crucifixion where they would take you, they'd put, they'd lay you down on the cross and they would nail your hands into the cross. They would take your feet and they would nail them into the tree and they'd lift you up and leave you there for days until you died. And they would leave your body on there until it decomposed and, and, and literally like spilling out on the ground and then your skeleton would fall into the ground. The Romans were brutal. And they would use this term for crucifixion. Oh yeah, he was lifted up. Lifted up. Now for us, it's like a, it's a positive phrase. Oh yeah, lift him up, lift him up. Right? I'm going to lift you up. This, but for them, it was a term of death. And Jesus, he says, what did he say? Just as, a, just as Moses lifted up the, the snake in the wilderness, so the man, son of man must be what? Lifted up. So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal Life For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So he's saying, if we believe, if we gaze upon the Son of Man, upon Jesus, who was crucified, who was lifted up as those in the wilderness did, and we have faith that that is enough to heal us, that His sacrifice was for us to forgive my sins, and make my, my relationship with God good again, to restore my relationship with the, with the Creator God, then He will give you eternal life. What do you say in 17? For God did not send His Son into, into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through Him. That's why He came. That's why He was lifted up. That is the name that we stand in. That is the faith that we stand in. Anyone who looks to Jesus for eternal life will receive it. Those who don't will perish. Our early brothers and sisters looked to Jesus. They put their faith in Him. They received eternal life and they stood in this life. They're saying, no one's going to take this life from me. I've experienced God. I've experienced joy. I've experienced hope. And no one's going to take it from me. One of my favorite things on, on, Insta- on Instagram right now are these videos. It's the song, the background. If you know anything about reels, a lot of times they'll just play a song and they'll do different things with the videos. And the song, the lyrics say, uh, the enemy thought that he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. Powerful song. And going back and forth with these people who have vid- you know, photos and videos of themselves worshiping other gods, worshiping demons, doing yoga, being a, you know, you know, div- you know, being a divinator, being addicted to alcohol, being addicted to drugs, being addicted to sex. And flashing back to the enemy thought that he had me when I was in the midst of all these things, thinking that these things were true, thinking that these things were bringing me you know, joy and, and happiness in life, when really they, they were bringing me death. They were killing me. The enemy thought he had me. And then they switched to videos and pictures of them being baptized. But Jesus said, you are mine. Being baptized, reading their scripture, going to worship, walking with other brothers and sisters in the church, experiencing true life, experiencing true joy. They're now standing in eternal life. How did our early brothers and sisters stand? Well, going back to chapter 2. The church, what, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And because of that, because of that devotion, the Spirit of God manifested Himself through healing, through signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. And then because of that, the church was empowered to speak the word of God with boldness. Whenever I see someone get healed, it blows my mind. We just saw a kid's knee get healed here on Friday. He had been out of, this, out, of the, out of basketball season because of an injury for the whole season. He came and they laid hands on him and, and prayed. Jackson was one of those. I love seeing it. And he was healed. Again, I'll give the testimony again. I had an astigmatism of some weird, weird, weird kind, and I, I was—it was so blurry at night, and my eyes had like a like a fan of, of you know on lights, so blurry that I didn't want to drive at night anymore. Went to a home church meeting. They laid hands on me. Instantly, I was healed. In the name of Jesus. Don't tell me God doesn't still heal. He can and he does. Always, all the time. Not every single time, but constantly. And whenever we see these, these things, 
I'm more emboldened to share my faith. I'm more emboldened to tell that story and to say, yeah, in the name of Jesus, he was healed. Hearing story after story after story of people who went to the doctor, they were, they were diagnosed with, with stage four cancer of some sort. They came somewhere, got prayed over, went back to the doctor. He says, I've never seen this before. It's gone. Story after story after story of healing and deliverance. People's lives being transformed. People's marriages being restored. Don't tell me God can't do it because He can. And He still does. Faith lives bold lives. Psalm 2, as he quotes in this, in this scripture passage here this morning, um, becomes a banner for the church, especially in the face of persecution. And the, the statement after that kind of sh- you know, shows them where this persecution is coming from. Well, first this comes from the, from the, the, the Gentiles, just basically the world, people of the world, the Romans. Number two, the people of Israel, their own countrymen. Three, the kings of the earth. This would be Herod and Pilate. And also from the Jewish rulers. So they're on everyone's radar. They're, they're like, they're on everyone's poop list. But it's interesting because it reminds me of John chapter 15. And it says this. If, this is Jesus saying this. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my, what? Name. Because they don't know the one who sent me. They don't know Yahweh. The one that they claimed even when we were worshiping. That's what he's saying. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this has happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. Oh, sorry. I meant to do, put that slide up. That's where it was from. John 15. And this passage is interesting. If you look at this, at this passage in John, God gave them one another. They gave, God gave them a support system, a family, a firm foundation and hope in this world. He gave them one another. Because the, the verses right before this even testi- testify to that. He says, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. What does he command? believe in the name of the Son of God and to love one another. He says that in, in a later, he writes later. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Simple. It's interesting. So I I wrote a song at this last worship writing retreat. um, And it's called Our Hope is in Jesus. And we wanted this to be resonation. Like, man, if there was someone coming to church for the, you know, they're like giving church one last, one last hurrah, one last shot. What would we want them to walk out of there knowing and hearing is the basis for the church, for our, for our, for my faith, for your faith, that our hope in this life, our only hope is in Jesus. Our hope is not in political leaders. Our hope is not in political parties. Our hope is not in our job. Our hope is not in our family. Our hope is not in our friends. Our hope is not in whatever, fill in the blank. Our hope, our only hope in this life is in Jesus Christ. And the first verse just speaks this clearly about God. This is our hopes in Jesus. We are loved to the ends of the earth by the God of the universe. He is always, always with us. And we know how the story ends. We've read, we've read the Bible all the way to the end. And we know how the story ends. He wins. Oh, Jesus wins. And we know he's coming back again. That is our hope, that he will come back again and take us to his kingdom. That's what the ultimate resolution and restoration of the gospel is. It's not just simply forgiveness of sins. That's how you get access. That's like your your entry key. To what? God. God's presence. God's goodness. To be with God in in, in his presence for all eternity. To be in the kingdom where all things have been made right. Where not only have we been reestablished back to what Adam fell from, but then some. The ultimate story wasn't just simply that we were friends with God, but that we were God's fam- we are God's family. That we are were created to be a part of the angelic kingdom, with the angels and the council and with God Himself face to face in His presence. And we gave that up for what? An apple? Pomegranate? Grapefruit? I wouldn't worth it. And so we fell not just from a garden, but the garden represents God's presence, God's kingdom. But Jesus said, I have come to make you new, that where I am, you will be also. That is our hope. That is our joy. That's what keeps us going. Yeah, things will suck right now on this earth because it sucks down here. But it's going to be amazing up there. But here's the thing. This was easy to write. This went by really quick. Because verse 2 was where our, our time really began to settle. And that we want people, we want people to know that our hope individually is in Christ. But our hope is also in the church. And that started up a conversation for over an hour. We had a three-hour song write. And one entire hour was just talking about our frustrations with the church in general. And how many, every single person in that room had a story 
of where the church, they had felt that they would, were hurt, betrayed, attacked by the church or people in the church. They felt unloved. They felt unwanted. And so they're like, I can't, my, my hope's not in the church. I can only have hope in, in God because I can't, hope, I can't have hope in the church. But that's not what the Bible says is, is God's heart, is God's desire. Is that to find Jesus, you're supposed to find him in the church. You're, suppo- you're supposed to put your hope in Christ and you find that hope in the church. And, we, and out of this, two, this, this, this over an hour conversation, we came up with this verse of basically like, we're not seeing how it is, but how God wants it to be. How God desires the church to be. Life in the church. Life like we're reading in our passage here this morning. What is God's heart? That we believe in the power of your name and we love one another the same, in that same power. We stand, we stand together. Side by side, we are the saints. We the church, he's called us by name. We belong We belong to Jesus. We stand together. Side by side, we are the saints. Remember that word saints means God's holy ones. We are God's called holy ones. And we come and we stand together. That's what I'm saying. He gave the church the support system. He gave them a family. He gave them the firm foundation and hope in this world. One another. That's why he commanded him. This is what I command you. Love one another. Because if you don't, you're not going to experience the hope of Jesus. We have to love one another. This, he's like, that's what he said. The world will know that you are my disciples. If you have a big building with stained glass windows and you've got great, awesome worship team you know, with pumping music, you've got lots of greeters and lots of programs. No. You have really cool laser lights and fog machines. You will, the world will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Because that's where the hope of this world is supposed to be found. Here. This is where the hope of the world is supposed to be found. Jesus knew that the world was going to hate them. They would be isolated, marginalized, pushed out of society, persecuted, put down, but not destroyed. And so this is where he injures them to pray, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because how are we going to live the hope of God? How are we going to love one another? Can we do it out of this worldly mindset and, and where we are? No, we have to pray. We have to come before God to be in his presence to pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith, we receive the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Like the Bible even said, like he who has the Spirit has Jesus. He who doesn't have the Spirit does not have Jesus. So we have to have the Spirit in order to have Jesus. We have to have Jesus in order to have the Spirit. But here's the thing. Look at Jesus' example. How did he go and get a, a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit to go and get the directions and instructions from his father? He kept going away to pray. He kept going away to spend time with his heavenly father all the time. He was praying all the time. 
And so we need to take that cue as well. We need to go and spend intentional, on-purpose time every day in His presence. Because not only are we given the hope that we will be in His presence one day, but that we're given that hope now. That we, in our spirit, can connect to His Holy Spirit in prayer. That's why it was one of the four main things that they devoted themselves to. Apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And the word prayer is actually plural. It's ongoing. It's constant. A a life of prayer. A life of being in God's presence. They devoted themselves to being in God's presence. That's what that word should say. And what happened when they prayed all these these things? They acknowledged who Jesus was. They acknowledged the the persecution. They acknowledged who was going to be doing the persecution. And they said... Consider their threats, but let us be bold to speak the word while you stretch out your hand for signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. But what happened when they had prayed this? The place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Our heart is that God would shake the church. That he would shake the very foundations, not of the building, but of us. Earthquakes in the Bible are signs of movements, power, and authority of God. You know, look at passages like, you know, look like when, uh, when God did this with Elijah and Isaiah, Ezekiel. And we see in moments like at the crucifixion, when Jesus died, there was a massive earthquake. When the, you know, the morning of the resurrection, there was a giant earthquake. When the disciples prayed, right here in Acts chapter 4, and then we'll see it again in Acts chapter 16 in a couple years. <laughs> in Acts chapter 16, when they were singing worship to God at midnight while they were in chains, while they were in the stocks, while Paul and Silas were imprisoned. And all the doors flew open and all the chains fell off. Because it was a massive earthquake. And we'll see all the, all these things in Revelation. We'll go and read Revelation, the end times. There's earthquakes all over it. Earthquakes are a sign of a movement of God. Because only God can shake the earth. Only God can shake the earth. Now we can understand how. By seismographs and all sorts of stuff. You know, like we see like fault lines and stuff like that. But only God can actually do the, do the shaking. So as we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, as we devote ourselves to break bread together, like we're going to do this morning, as we devote ourselves to fellowship, and we devote ourselves to pray and be filled with a fresh, daily fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit, God will, like he says here, grant the church to boldly speak the word of God. God will heal. God will do signs and wonders. God will shake the church. God will transform people's lives. Because like I said, the gates of hell will not prevail, will not win against the church or the advancement of the kingdom of God through the bold speaking of God's word. He said in Matthew 16, 
Upon this rock, the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not win against it. Will not be able to withstand it. We don't have to water down the gospel. Man, I know, I know this morning I'm being bold and I, I, I feel, <laughs> I feel this like, I feel like I'm coming across kind of, kind of in your face. <laughs> I feel extra bold this morning. I don't know why. Because, another word. <laughs> But we cannot water down the gospel. We will not water down the gospel. As long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we, as God gives us blessing and His Spirit, we will be here preaching and teaching the Word of God at shift. We don't have to water down the communion of saints, our fellowship together. As long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as God gives us His blessing and His Spirit, we will be here to share in the breaking of bread and fellowship every single week and prayer together. We don't have to water down our lives. As long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as God gives us blessing and His Spirit, we will live boldly in the powerful name and authority of King Jesus by the presence of His Holy Spirit. Don't water down or tear down what God created to be full and beautiful and flourishing and filled with joy, a life filled with hope, a life filled with love, a life filled with friends, a life filled with community, a life filled with purpose and meaning, a life filled with direction, a life filled with the presence of of the creator of the universe who loves you so much. Let that be your banner as we walk through this life. Our hope is in Jesus. And I will live bold in his name. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love and and the hope that you give us, God. That you are true. That you are light. And in you there is no darkness at all. God, I pray this morning that you would transform our lives. That you would breathe the breath of life into each one of us individually. And that, God, that you would breathe the breath of life into your church. That we would experience your presence that we would experience your love and give and experience your hope and give that love and hope, peace and joy to one another as we gather in your name every week. God, we pray for your presence. And God, that you would look upon the threats of this world in the future, no matter what the future holds. And God, that you would grant your Saints, Lord, that you would grant us, your church, to speak the name of Jesus, to speak the word of God with all boldness, while you stretch out your hands to heal and to do signs and wonders through the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Shake your church, Lord God. Empower us with your presence and salvation. 
Send us, God, and bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.